You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Dear Culture, the podcast for buying about the culture here on the Griot Black Podcast Network. I'm your host, Panama Jackson. And this August, we celebrated 50 years of hip hop, culture, music, community, the whole shebang. While some people argue about the, the start date, We've all settled on like August 11th and we use that as a way to throw parties and have all these panel discussions and do all the things around hip hop. One thing that we've all been discussing, what I've seen a lot of article a lot of articles on is like the evolution of hip hop. Like has hip hop evolved? Has it not? Like where are we in terms of where hip hop is 50 years later? which is a very fair question, very fair conversation, and we've been using lots of methods to discuss that. Like how has hip hop waded into all the different parts of society. At this point, I think we can all argue that hip hop is like mainstream pop culture in America, at least. And that means it's infiltrated every part of society. We got, you know, we got hip hop heads in the halls of Congress. We got hip hop heads running, you know, companies and corporations. And that means that wherever the causes and the issues and the need for advocacy are, is hip hop, the community, at least. And one of those community organizations, excuse me, one of those organizations is Hip Hop Caucus. Hip Hop Caucus fights for a future that is black and green. We are pushing for economic prosperity, clean air, clean water, and the dismantling of oppressive systems designed to harm our people. As activists and influencers, we use our cultural expression and creativity to influence real change. And we have two people here who are innately involved in the organization to discuss it with us, help us understand like what this organization like is how hip hop is involved outside of the name and largely what can we as a community because I consider myself a hip hop head and part of the community like what is hip hop doing in terms of furthering causes that matter to all of us so our guests today are Brittany Bell Surratt who is the senior director of storytelling and communications for hip hop caucus and I can't wait to hear exactly what that means uh, I love a good title on a job, and that is a good title on a job. We also have Don Richard here, who is an artist. Uh, she's a director. She's does a multi-hyphenate, does all kinds of stuff. Like you see, um, you know her from Danity Kane and Diddy Dirty Money, but her solo work is probably like the where the real stars are all shining. I don't even know if your music has a genre necessarily. It's very genreless. It's just it's just good. And good music doesn't need doesn't need a label. So I appreciate the work that you're doing. Uh thank you both for being here. How are you doing today? Great. How, How are you doing, I'm Brittany? Cool, Panama. That's good. Look, I'm cool, Panama. Look bad chill. I like that. So let's start, let's start big picture. What is the hip hop caucus? The Hip Hop Caucus is we're a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization um, that uses our um, advocacy and activism to make change um, in communities of color. So we have a very grassroots infrastructure in which we support local communities and um, local organizations whether that is through um, civic engagement, advocacy, whether that is ballot initiatives, um, whether that is community cleanup, um, commemorations, 
we do all of that. And we are Hip Hop Caucus because we utilize hip hop culture as a means of of connecting uh, people in the work. And so when we say hip hop culture, that could mean artists and influencers. Um, that could mean fashion. That could mean animation. Um, there's so many facets to hip hop in which messaging and advocacy can be a portal. And so that's what we do at Hip Hop Caucus. And that's who we are. And Don, how did you get involved in this organization? Have you been there since day one? Like, where did, you know, how did you get involved with Hip Hop Caucus? I got in touch with Hip Hop Caucus in a very real way, right? I uh, went through Katrina, I uh, lost everything. And a lot of people were on the ground doing a lot of nothing. And um, we were, were there to witness it. Nobody really cared about a city that everybody visited. Everybody put money into a city, but the money wasn't coming to the locals. And when there was an opportunity for people to really show up, no one did. And one of the organizations that was on the ground doing something was the caucus. Lo and behold, never would I have thought that, you know, 18 years later, they would come back into my wheelhouse and I would have the opportunity now as an artist to do the philanthropic work that I have been wanting to do, but really didn't have any direction as an artist because no one was guiding us into where to put our money and our time. A lot of times when you're a musician and you're an artist, people tell you real talk to write off things financially, just work with nonprofits, but they don't tell you like genuinely, yo, a lot of the artists that are going through things are a part of neighborhoods and communities that are having real issues, but artists don't know how to speak to that. And no one in the labels, no one in the industry is really helping you facilitate that. You got to help and facilitate that yourself. And some of us don't even know how to put that messaging out there. Uh, and I knew that I wanted to, but I didn't really have any guidance. Come, you know, cut to, I'm on my independent hustle and I really have a control over my career. And I built that for a long time. And I knew it was time for me to put my money where my mouth was. My agenda and message had always been, I wanted to go back to my city and do everything that I didn't get a chance to do when I was a part of it and homeless going through it. And uh, the Hip Hop Caucus had a role open for artist relations director. And I thought that, that would be a prime opportunity because I never thought that success in the make of an artist would be in the societal structure that, that people were telling me it would be. I always felt like an artist had an avenue to make that design anything, you know, any way they wanted it. And to me, that's a part of hip hop culture, right? There's no rules to what an artist is supposed to look like. Uh, and so I thought it'd be really cool to come in and, you know, if I wanted to change the infrastructure, I had to be the one to do it. So instead of, you know, talking about what people aren't doing for artists, I wanted to be a part of the people that provided platforms to do things with. So I, I thought it was on brand to work with an organization that was on the ground for Katrina that actually was built around what was going on. Uh, and be uh, a bridge for artists to be able to communicate with real issues, what's going on in our society, and be able to speak with them because I was an artist myself. Are artists an essential part of the community, or is it like the culture and community of hip hop is really what's at heart here? Like, I imagine, like, my understanding, um, you know, is like with the Voter Die campaign, I know, you know like Diddy was very big on the Voter Die thing, right? And that seems like a natural, I think that's, if I'm not mistaken, that was the impetus for Hip Hop Caucus. Um, in the beginning anyway. But I imagine that over time, the name alone would draw artists into the fold who might find an interest or who are who are interested in advocacy issues for, you know, environmental justice or whatever. Like, you know, there's a certain subsect of, of, of artists who are very invested and interested in on the ground change and things like that. Do they seek Hip Hop Caucus out or is it like you all seek artists out who might align with the missions of what you guys have going on? Like how 
what is the artist, what is the hip hop artist end of hip hop caucus like? I know I could speak for myself when I think it's a bit of both, right? And as hip hop evolves, so does the outreach, right? In the beginning, I think hip hop, you know, hip hop's name alone, hip hop caucus, and then what they were doing with Border Die, it was natural for artists to want to be a part of hip hop and hip hop caucus because the name was there. And hip hop to me, culture was at its it was thriving. It was coming up in a very real way. We saw hip hop speaking in political spaces like vote or die. Right. But as hip hop evolves, to me, it's more than just music. It's a lifestyle. And you're seeing as hip hop evolves. Right. So does the caucus and the name becomes a broader width. First, it was just rappers uh, and people within the hip hop space. But now as hip hop evolves into multi genre. Right. You've got hip hop kids who love gaming, hip-hop kids who love rock and roll, like the Rico Nasties and the Lil Uzi Verts, right? These evolution uh, of hip-hop changing, so does the caucus. And now we get to actually do some outreach and search for a broader band of what that looks like. So at first it was a lot of hip-hop culture coming to us saying we want to be a part of this. And I think as things have evolved, we've been able to go out into the community and say, we think this might fit like animation. We think this might fit like tech. We think this might fit like the gaming world. We think this might fit because it's encompassing, right? It's changing, it's evolving. And as it does, we're able to stretch that uh, that um, boundary, right? We're, we're able to stretch that gambit to something bigger. Yeah, and I will just add, um, I think you hit it with community and culture comes first. And then um, the, the many facets of hip hop and how we can penetrate the, the advocacy through those facets. And so that could, that doesn't necessarily have to be a person, like an artist or an, influ an influencer. It could be, you know, we set up shop in a neighborhood and decide to do a cipher or graffiti or a mural or, um, you know, all these other ways in which the people can display hip hop through themselves and that be a means to the advocacy and the activism uh, work. It doesn't have to be like a person. A person and that person yeah. can, can absolutely and does sometimes seek us out like, hey, we see what you all are doing. And, you know, I am interested or passionate about X, Y, and Z issue. How can I help? But then also we 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 are doing a lot of social listening and monitoring and just listening to music and songs and saying, okay, well, we know that you know Don cares about LGBTQ rights. We know that Don cares about, you know, environmentally conscious issues. Let's see if we can get in touch with Don and see if she'd be willing to, you know, help us go out to Mississippi in the Jackson water crisis. You know what I mean? Like those are the it, it does go both ways also. When I hear the word caucus, my mind immediately goes to like, you know, like I, I'm, I'm in Washington, D.C. I worked on Capitol Hill for years. There's a caucus for everything in this city. So my mind immediately goes to politics and, you know, the whole political process and all of that. Um, but this seems more community centric in like this. Like you can act. You can make a difference without going through Congress. You can make a difference without going through the state house. Now, you need you need that support. But grassroots change is grassroots change. Right. You can make a difference on the ground. Um, so what is the, like, what is the, the end goal for a lot of the advocacy and, and, and work that you all do? It depends where we are and what the space is. We have a campaigns and advocacy team, um, in which, you know, the, that, that one team will be working on, um, 
policy and legislation and going down to Congress and the Rayburn building and having meetings and figuring out how to, you know, track bills that are moving through the house and um, and how those, you know, relate to something we may be wanting to get past. Or it could be we are, you know, down in a small town uh, working through their local school board to try to get, you know, something education related passed. It could be we just out on the ground um, trying to get resources out to, you know, people who may need, um, you know, a community cleanup or people in Louisiana who are in Cancer Alley that may not know how something called petrochemicals is affecting them because we know that political cycles change, then we don't rely on, um, you know, that as a means to get our work done. I mean, yeah. How big is y'all team though? Like this, uh, like how many hats can you, how many, like, it sounds like y'all involved in a lot of things at the same time, because everything that you talk about is always going on, right? This stuff is always happening yeah. and the ability to deploy teams <laughs> to specific places. Like, while the Jackson, Mississippi water crisis is going on, we ain't quite done in Flint, right? Or there, like, there's always things going on that require, like, a well-organized machine to be a part of it in order to ensure that the people and the, the like, the issues that need the most attention are able to get that. It's a everyday hustle, right? That's what the culture of hip-hop is, right? That's the hustle. And not just hip-hop, Black communities, I wanted to piggyback on what you were saying. I think the bigger picture is a wealthier and healthier world for our people. That is the that is the big game, right? That's the end game is that we understand our wealth, we gain our wealth, right? And we also have cleaner air and cleaner communities and then educational, wealthier comes with better educational systems for our people. That is what the caucus is built on, is creating a world where we are not the last on the totem pole right? We are the first. And so that's not a day thing. That's not a week thing. That is a forever struggle that we are willing to take on. And like any big initiative, it's grassroots. It's going to be like the street team. Yes, donations are great, but a lot of this is through collaboration. And when we talk about storytelling and and narrative, again, celebrities are cool, artists are cool, but really what makes this thrive is stories, our stories and how we connect to those. And when we get on the ground and talk to these communities and they tell us these stories, that is what motivates us to get up every day and fight these fights that you are right, can be overwhelming and repetitive and redundant, but worth it because that is what it's going to take for our communities to see the importance of what this is. And honestly, because we are a lot, of, a lot of times the last on the list, the education and us knowing why this matters, it has to be an everyday fight. And it's not, it's not going to be something that will be overnight. But with the more and more we do these grassroots DIY, get on the ground, these street team level or buildups, I think the more and more our, our community will be educated enough to know, OK, we do need to be a part of the caucus. Time for a quick break. Stay with us. I'm Torre. Join us for crazy true stories about stars who I really hung out with, like Snoop, Jay-Z, Prince, Kanye, and the time I got kidnapped by Suge Knight. Don't miss my animated series, Star Stories with Torre, from the Griot Black Podcast Network. And we're back. 
how do people invest in in hip hop caucus and find a way to be a part of what you all have going on? All of the above. All of the above. I mean, I, I think the biggest one is the outreach. We do the research, right? So we're looking to see how to get people involved into this and tell the, the stories, right? So whether and it's it's not. It's also too looking at places that most people tend not to, right? Because of our communities, a lot of times we are overlooked. And then those overlooked under the shell places are some of the best stories and people really trying to affect change. So we don't just look at a trend, right? We look at true stories and we see what's going on. Again, like when I saw the caucus on the ground for Katrina, I didn't know who they were. I just saw the name and I saw the work they were they were doing. And then again, I seek them out and said, okay, this might be a great fit. Um, as a person who has actually went through that story. But just to see that they were the ones to put the larger lens to Katrina that others weren't looking at. They were over here speaking on the wetlands. They were over here speaking about the petrochemicals. That was a story that nobody wanted to cover, right? So I think it has to also be a lot of us doing the research and going into, we're picking up the rocks, right? And those places and those crevices that tend to be overlooked. Like no one really talking about Cancer Alley. No one really talking about the story about what's under the indigenous pipelines and these these true stories that are happening beyond that. And then also staying when everyone is left, right? People tend to, to, to be on a lens and say for a week, right? But we as an organization are saying, well, what's happening three, four, five weeks, four months after? Are we still having the same conversations? That's the work that's keeping us on the ground and, and and really us seeking that out. Because to me, those stories need to be amplified. That to me is what makes us a bit special and what we're choosing to do to, to tell these stories. Yeah, we really just be everywhere, Panama. Um, we be we might be in Atlanta, South Cop City. We may be at Broccoli City. We may be at NABJ. We may be at the Hurricane Katrina commemoration, the March on Washington, Afrotech. Climate Week, Afrotech, like and you ask something our team is, our team is not that big, but what you do is you have a, like people who are really passionate about it. And when you have people who are really passionate about it, they're going to spend the time, they're going to do the, they're going to expend the energy um, and they're going to do the work. And so um, we got a, a, a crazy digital game in which we are, you know, in, in, in email marketing and the text marketing and on Instagram, like TikTok, like we are everywhere in physical appearances on digital um, because that's like, that's how important it is to us. And that's how unsiloed we want to, you know what I mean? We don't want to be. Got you. How has the evolution of hip hop impacted the way that you all do business? If it has at all, at least on the artist front. This is a conversation I always have, right? Because I'm watching it in real time and I'm in a part of it. Um, I think that tech has a lot to do with that. I think artists probably were definitely more vocal still then in hip hop time, but the tech just, we didn't have social media. Like right. we only got that from Pump It Up or like whatever Rap City or whatever, like, you know, TV show we could possibly see a VJ talking to an artist to get that. Or if you just saw in the music video that the artists were doing, you saw that presence, whether or not they said vote or not, or they hated the police or whatever, it just was different. But also, too, we are in a multi-genre time, right, where hip-hop is more of a lifestyle and a culture and less about a mu musical genre now. It is about a vibe. And I do think you have more artists speaking about social issues because they have access 
tech has, social media has made things just more accessible. You have the Cardi B's talking about like real social issues in her way, but still speaking of it. You have Megan Thee Stallion graduating from college and speaking about the importance of an education, which, you know, like they're aware, these are most, some of these artists have full on master's degrees, you know, BAs and and some levels, even actors have PhDs. Like it's it's a different time where people are more aware than ever. And then you have Generation Z who is so present and so involved in the movement. They can start riots. We just seen one kid shut down New York for PlayStations, you know, just, yeah, like because of Twitch and the, and what Twitch can bring to the uh, to the table on, on a gaming level and what these black youth, these young kids have now have access to. Um, I love all of it. And I think there's a way for us to tap into it. I think our name actually encompasses all those things. And so the point that we have to do is we have to evolve with it, right? And I think a part of hip hop culture is evolution. To me, hip hop is us, it's black people, it's community. And so that has become to me a larger picture that we are aware of, which is why we're collaborating with animators, which is why it's not just graffiti, it's muralist, right? It's mural work, right? Because now the the penmanship and the, the gauge of what the craft of graffiti is, has evolved. And to me, muralists, muralists come from, the, I mean, the history of graffiti, right? That we cannot talk about a mural without talking about the work that graffiti has done in the history of not just graffiti, but tattoo work, right? Tattooism and what that was in the, in the history of tattoos. Um, but again, we have to, as the culture of hip hop evolves, so must the caucus. Time for a quick break. Stay with us. The 80s gave us unforgettable songs from Bob Marley, De La Soul, and Public Enemy. I'm a black man, and I can never be a veteran. Being Black, the 80s is a podcast docuseries hosted by me, Torre, looking at the most important issues of the 80s through the songs of the decade. A decade when crack kingpins controlled the streets, but lost their humanity. You couldn't be like those soft, smiling, happy-go-lucky drug dealers. You had to suppress that. It was a time when disco was part of gay liberation. It provided the information to counter narratives that were given to gay people by the straight world. This is the funkiest history class you'll ever take. Join me, Torre, for Being Black the 80s on the Grio Black Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. I came up on real 90s rap. And um, everything from like, you know, when I think about socially conscious and the things that people were speaking about then, I think about, you know, UGK One Day lyrics. And I think about... Uh, Outcast in due time, those lyrics, like those were, they were speaking about issues. They were speaking about mass incarceration. They were speaking about, you know, elections and, you know, politics and how, you know, that affects neighborhoods. And, you know, I'm sure we can pull like some, you know, the examples, the standard go-to examples where you have, you know, the TLC talking about, um, you know, yeah. yeah, waterfalls or, um, uh, I, it's just, it escapes me right now, but um, with the condom on the eye, with the condom Safe on the sex. eye, yeah, yes, yeah. Um, or we, you know, or NWA as um, as Don referenced when they were talking about, you know, after the police. police, yeah. Um, like 
it, there's always, it's always been there. I think that the, that what has to Don's point is how tech and social media and how we have as a society evolved into, into wanting our artists to align and to know where their alignment lies. Whereas back then it didn't matter if, you know, if who people were necessarily voting for or where they stood you know, on political, in political ideology, um, as it does now. Right. So, and I think because of that, it is also, uh, a sellable marketable point for some artists to take a position and to take a stand and that could work in their favor. Um, and I think that's what the difference is. And also policy politicians understand the power of hip hop now and not just hip hop, but the culture. So now they're using their lyrics at their rallies and more than ever right now, they, uh, the popularity of the artists, like you said, the agenda has changed where an artist has had has more power. And I think artists know that and they're very much on the pulse of what their power is. Yeah, let me be clear. I, I actually think. I'm, I grew up in that 90s uh, real hip hop, as you called it, too. So I actually do think that the artists back then, and I'm not going to say all of them, because, again, we have this thing where we Definitely remember the stuff that was good versus <laughs> yeah. the stuff that nobody will ever remember. But, you know, like I do think those, the the lyrically, the stuff that a lot of rappers were talking about, I think is exactly, I think you're absolutely right. There's a lot of, like, a, speaking truth to power lyrically and all of that stuff. Whereas not, I don't like, know as that. a PSA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like it was like, they were they were all saying it. I don't know that, I don't know that while you could get, you know, uh, Prodigy from Mob Deep to talk about the pain and all this, because he's a brilliant lyricist and all the stuff that he was talking about, but was he going to go out here and stand and advocate for something on the street? I don't know. Whereas I think nowadays you get rappers who are just vibing out 24-7, but it's nothing to get somebody to say, hey, come be a part of this cause and you'll see something on Instagram. Yeah, you know, go do that. Like I, like, I think the way that that artists interact with their politics such that they have them is different nowadays. I just think that because there's more avenues, like you said, because of technology, there's more avenues to speak about how you really feel, which is sometimes a bad thing because some of these artists have no business talking about anything <laughs> um, without a script in front of them. Right. Like it's just, you know, shots fired. All the time. Like, I, I can't tell you how many of my favorite artists are people that I really do not like as humans now because of their ability too much to access. speak outside of the little box and the lyrics and things that they that they've shared. So I'm with you on that end. Like, I, you know, I I'm completely with you uh, to that end. I wonder, you know, you mentioned Gen Z. Do the Gen Z folks like do they even consider themselves hip hop heads? Like, this is not really a question. Like, I look, I. I, I love the title of Hip Hop Caucus because it, it bring again, it brings people like me in. But I wonder if that draws in young people. Like, do they look at this Hip Hop Caucus and they're like, man, hip hop is where I'm at. Like, does, I wonder if hip hop head even means anything to them the way that, like, there's a badge of honor for me. It's on my Instagram profile. Like, I still have hip hop head right there. I need you to know, <laughs> right? But like, I need you to understand that this is who I am and where I'm coming from. Yeah. This is the lens in which I think, I feel, and I speak. From my, my personal lens with a 17 year old who's a senior in high school right now. Um, short answer, I would say no. Their um, recognition, alliance, allegiance, um, connection to, you know, the words hip hop themselves itself uh, is not the like I, I, it's not the same as we see it. And I say we as in like millennials. 
right? And I and I feel like, and I can only speak from like without doing any official polling and you know all of the the tried and true ways to to try to get this information. Just knowing a bunch of sixteen and seventeen year olds, um, it's looked at as like that's y'all. You know what I mean? Like that's y'all's thing. You know what I mean? Um, and what I'm seeing though now with sampling with more, um, you know, artists and uh, doing cross collaborations with this um, this interest of the nostalgia of the 80s, 90s, early 2000s. Wild that my kid would go to a 2000s themed party in which they had to wear <laughs> the big, you know, throwbacks and oversized jerseys and the jersey dresses. Like, that was a real thing that he got dressed up for. He put on a do-rag and a fitted and everything. And I think that is their... <laughs> man, at the all heart Panama, that is their, you know, kind of connection to, I think, the words hip-hop. Um, but right. this generation, Gen Z, is they are just everything bending. They're genre-bending. They're gender-bending. They are you know, orientation bending, like there, nothing is, you know, boundaried and black and white for this generation. And so I think that when it comes to music and when it comes to terms and when it comes to, um, you know, something being kind of black and white, like that's just not where they are. Which is again, like I, it's a nostalgia thing for them. That, that's what I, like, they understand right. what hip hop is. They're just more. Right. So they understand the surface of it and they love it because they sampling it. They taking it. Every song that's on the top 10 billboard is a sample. Like it's yes, it they is. understand the concept of it. Yeah. They understand the concepts of it and they appreciate it. They just know, like she said, it's a they it's a it's like it's a y'all thing, but it doesn't mean that they don't Evolution. recognize it. it's evolving. Right. And we are recognizing that. And that's how we have to look at it, because Gen Z is moving. And if you don't move with them, you lose them. All right. Well, we're going to take one more break here. When we come back, we're going to talk uh, Black Fessions and Black Accommodation here with my good friends, Don Richard and Brittany Belserat of the Hip Hop Caucus. So stay tuned here on Dear Culture. Y'all, come look at what Michael Harriet just posted. Black Twitter, come get your man. It's his podcast episodes for me. I was today years old when I found out Michael Harriet had a podcast. Subscribed. I'm world-famous white peopleologist Michael Harriet, and this is The Griot Daily. That's right. The Black Twitter King has a podcast, The Griot Daily with Michael Harriet, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on the Griot Black Podcast Network and accessible wherever you find your favorite podcasts. All right, we're back here in Dear Culture, and it's my favorite time of the show. It's where we talk black fashions and black recommendations, where we let, we have our guests let their hair out and have a little fun with 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 black culture in our community. You know, we love to say that we're not a monolith. Well, here's our chance to prove it. So we do black fashions. We start with the black fashion, which is a confession about your blackness, which is something people will be surprised to know about you because you're black. Brittany, let's start with you. Do you have a black fashion for us? Uh, yeah. Do I have to just shoot one? I have a food-related one and a music-related one. Well, you know what? Give us the best one you got first, and we'll see if we even need the second <laughs> one. Because if you disgust me with the food one or whatever, then I'm not sure I can take my heart can take anymore. <laughs> okay. Well, the the food one is I don't eat um I don't eat greens. I don't like collard or mustard greens. Ain't you from Mississippi? I am. Try the truth, mm-hmm. Natchez. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, you know, yeah. I'm 
a little surprised at that, but you know, that's that's fine. That's fine. You're not the first person. A lot of black people don't like chicken, which is odd to me. But you know, it does happen. It does happen. Yeah. Okay. What's your music one? Uh that Lauren Hill should not be considered in the top three of female rappers. Hmm. <laughs> that's a take. That's a take. I uh okay. I I as even as somebody who doesn't love the miseducation of Lauren Hill as much as everybody else does, I think what you just said. That's is a bananas. black fashion for you. That's a that that's no what fashion. you just said in the twenty fifth anniversary. I'm embarrassed by both of you I, right now. I hope they scrubbed it from the internet. First off. That First off, is a masterpiece. You do not get an opportunity to be more upset at what I said <laughs> than what you said. That that's not a thing. You that was appalling. Down a little bit. No, you gonna have to just fall back a little bit. Both um, of you are ridiculous. I'm fine with mine. Lauren Hill is. I, I, I love, Lauren Hill is my favorite verse in hip hop history. I love Lauren Hill. Right. Lauren Hill has my literal okay. favorite hip hop verse of all time. What verse so, is that? It's her verse on Zealots. That's how I live my life. That's how I write. That's how I approach my work. Like, think like a wise man and speak in the voice of the people. (laughs) So, you know, but that whole verse is in it. But anyway, okay, that's, you know, that's a take. I like it. It's a take. And that's what I do. I live on takes. Um, Dawn, you got one? You got a black fashion for us? Yeah, I don't think it's a secret, but um, I grew up on heavy metal and rock and roll. So my first concert was Green Day. Oh, okay. Day. I yeah. love I also like Green Day. I'm a I'm a I grew up on my mother was a heavy metal head. I mean, so I grew up on groups like Rat and ACDC and ACDC. Yeah. I still have I my was Guns N' Roses Slipknot. like Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all that stuff. Slipknot. Yeah. So, okay. yeah. Yeah. I could understand it. Your music tends to speak to 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 being influenced by all types of like all types yeah. of genres and stuff like that. Anything, so that, yeah, anything that was like bending left was probably where I was. Yeah, was not but coming from New Orleans, that's a bit of a left thing. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. I can see that. All right. It's also well, a raver. <laughs> you know what? I can see that too. Okay. Raves. Listen, I, yeah. I, 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 admittedly, I think I can see that. Okay. All right. Well, that that works. That was you know we're we're getting to know each other here. This works. This is good. Okay. Well, now that we've all shared something, you know, how about some black recommendations? What's your recommendations for buying about blackness? Something that you think. All black people should be up on. It could be something you got going on or something that you are invested in and interested in that you think other folks should be up on that is for buying about the culture in some way, shape, or form. So, uh, Dawn, do you have one? We'll start with you this time. <sighs> Why are you starting with me? Um, oh, man. Come back to me. Hold up. Come back to me. All right. We can do that. Okay, we wait. No, back. I got it. Oh, I got yeah. it. I got it. It always yes, um, every time. I do. I, <laughs> I do think... <laughs> I do think black people should be up on cryptocurrency, on black wealth, on how to create world building. And there are platforms where we are, we have real estate and that we can build our own worlds and financially work within that space. So if you are not up on the metaverse and and there are black spaces for you to live in that, um, and if you're not hip on world building, I think you should look into that because that is a new place for you to own real estate quite early, um, specifically as black owners. Okay. I like it. 
generational wealth conversations, all that type of stuff is, is definitely where my family is. We have group chats about that type of stuff now. I think you should look into it. Yeah. All right. Brittany, what you got? Mine is that Hip Hop Caucus is a leader in the climate movement and that every issue is intersectional with climate and that Black people should be paying attention to that. And so um, I think that there is an under recognition of uh, all things climate and environmental in our news and our media spaces. Um, and that if you want to find out how you know, your community is being affected, how your health, how your everyday livelihood is, then you should be following Rev Lennox Yearwood. This is code red for the planet. The climate crisis is here. All right. Well, where can people find out more information or get involved with Hip Hop Caucus and, you know, whatever else you got? And, and please let us know whatever else you all have going on. You know, as we wrap up, you can find us on social to be able to keep up where we'll be and how you can get involved. All things at Hip Hop Caucus across social and hiphopcaucus.org is our website. All right. Well, I appreciate you all uh, for Thanks, spending Panama. some time with us today to, to, to break down the Hip Hop Caucus and let us know what you all have going on, the work that you're doing, and to talk hip hop and, you know, what that even means nowadays. You know, that's a fun conversation for me as the old guy in the room. Uh, you know, not say that facetiously. I'm not really that old, but you know what I mean. It's yeah, not very old. relative. Like, why are you not old at all. Like right. So it's always yeah. fun to no say that. No, fifteen years uh, and on the hill, my age, you know. <laughs> Listen, I, they did, they did. That's why yeah. I had to leave. <laughs> That's why I had to leave. <laughs> but uh, but thank you all both so much for being here on Dear Culture. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your energy. Thank you. We appreciate your information. So thank you, and we'll make sure that that more people can find out about the Hip Hop Caucus and get involved. So appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. And for everybody listening, Dear Culture is an original podcast of the Real Black Podcast Network. It is hosted by myself, Panama Jackson. It is produced by Sasha Armstrong. And Regina Griffin is our director of podcasts. Thank you for listening. Have a black one. We started this podcast to talk about not just what Black writers write about, but how. Well, personally, it's on my bucket list to have one of my books banned. <laughs> I know that's probably bad, but Ooh. I think... Ooh, spicy. <laughs> they were yelling, N-word, go home. And I was looking around for the N-word because I knew it couldn't be me because I was a queen. <laughs> but I'm telling people to quit this mentality of identifying ourselves yeah. by our work, to start to live our lives. And to redefine the whole concept of how we work and where we work and why we work in the first place. My, my biggest strength throughout throughout my career has been having incredible mentors and specifically black women. I've been writing poetry since I was like eight. You know, I've been reading Langston Hughes and James Baldwin and Maya Angelou and so forth and so on since I was like a little kid. Like the banjo was blackly black, right? Mm -hmm. For Many, many, African. many years. Everybody yes. knew. Because sometimes I'm just doing some Sam <laughs> that because <laughs> I just <laughs> want to do it. An honor to be here. Thank you for doing the work that you're doing. Keep shining bright. And we and, and like you said, we're going to keep writing black. As always, you can find us on the Grio app or wherever you find your podcasts.